Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an MQT slash ECT with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our thoughts and experiences of what life can be like for an MQT. Today, I'm talking to Ilsa Melligan. Like many others I've spoken to, Ilsa has had her own unique journey in education. She's been working in or with schools for 19 years. In her first four years, she worked in two large primary schools, one terrible, one great. And it was in the second of those that her fascination with PE, health and personal development really began to flourish. She took her national PSHE subject leader certification, met people in the local sports partnership, and this led on to her interest in healthy schools. After a couple of years working as the primary lead for a sports partnership, leading workshops and running sports festivals, she returned to teaching in two part-time roles, then started work in a small village school. She then left full-time teaching and split her time between PE consultancy in schools, teacher training for PE and personal training nutrition coaching. By this time, Ilsa had formed her big idea. She joined the School of Social Entrepreneurs to learn how to set up her own company, the Children's Health Project. This was in 2016. And this is the focus for what she does now. She has worked with more than 300 schools, developing a whole school approach to well-being for improved physical health and mental health. And the latest rise in the percent of children in year six with obesity and mental health issues shows that this work is more important than ever. Ilsa, welcome. Thanks for speaking to me. Hi, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to see your smiling face all the way down in Devon, wherever. You're, are you in Devon? Dorset. I'm Dorset. in Dorset. <laughs> all the way down in Dorset. So tell us, what made you love teaching? Well, I think I had such a good experience of primary school myself. It was a very creative time. Um, I had brilliant friends, amazing teachers. And I think I knew I wanted to be a teacher, originally thought secondary, but I didn't really have a specific subject that I wanted to teach. And the moment I went and did some work experience in my old primary school, it just clicked. It was just, I was working with an amazing teacher she was so creative in everything she was doing. And um, and I think that's it, really. It's the creativity, isn't it? And it's no two days are the same. Um, and I quite, <laughs> I enjoyed learning about the topics I was teaching as much as the children did. Yeah, so me too. It felt, yeah, it felt like, felt like we were part of a team, I think, um, with the children. Um, but I think also it's the wider community as well the parents and relationships you have with the other teachers you know um and most of all for me inspiring leaders and you are one of them Uh, you're so sweet (laughs) uh, we'll 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 come on to leadership in a moment perhaps because uh what you've just said there having a great team we're all in it together that's teachers that's other school staff that's children that's parents that's governors and uh let's just make the place great so that we can all have a lovely time together, and, but at the same time learn so much too, um, because that's the very essence, isn't it, of education? We're all doing it together. We're learning loads of stuff, and we're really enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard enough job as it is, isn't it? So the environment and the culture of where you're working 
is absolutely crucial. You need to love the place that you work, the people that you work with to be the best teacher you can be. Um, yeah. And that sounds love. simple. That's what we like. It's quite love. complicated, really. Yeah. yeah. Keep it simple. Absolutely. Just love each other, help each other, get the best out of each other. Why wouldn't you want that? Which leads me neatly on to why didn't you get that in your first school? What was that all about? Well, I've just said you're one of my role models when it comes to leadership and your sister Maria as well. And um, I had the complete opposite experience of that in my first couple of years of teaching. Um, I worked for a head teacher who was an absolute bully. And oh, no. her behaviour. Yeah, and I, I look back now, actually, and this is, you know, it's nearly 20 years ago, but her behaviour was quite vile towards staff, really? towards parents, towards the children. Um, and I, I, I hope that it wouldn't happen like that now, but um, it, it was a very difficult situation because I was an NQT and I had no idea that that didn't happen in every school. Yeah. Apart from my own experience of being in a primary school and the couple of schools I worked at on my skip course, um, I didn't know that that wasn't the reality of teaching. Um, she was cruel to children, shouting in their face, hugely disrespectful to people. And we even, you know, if a member of staff had gone into her office and the door was closed, we'd even gather outside the photocopier as staff, ready to pick up that person that came out of her office, you know, make them a cup of tea and take care of them. Because we knew if the door was closed, there was trouble. No, and that's just I, terrible. Yeah, and very harmful, actually. I mean, yeah. I, looking back, I was very fortunate. I was in, you know, I had a secure family. I had good friends, actually really good friends with the teachers that I worked with. So I was fortunate in that other things in my life are very stable. Um, but I can imagine that actually being quite an insecure situation for people who don't have that stability. Um, and, you know, and it doesn't do anything actually for your, your teaching. And I, I look back and I'm quite amazed that I stuck with it and still enjoyed teaching. And it was the children in the class really that made that difference. Um, but, you know, when you're crying at a parent's evening in front of other parents because she's, she's humiliated you in front of some parents, she did that no. in front of a, um, a couple of parents who are secondary teachers and I, looking back, I think it was a pressure. She, she couldn't deal with the pressure of having teachers come to a parents' evening to hear from one of her NQTs. Um, and That's bizarre, she, though, isn't it? Because you have golden rule. You have faith in your teachers. That's the rule, isn't that, it? That's, that's where you start. That's exactly as a what leader. she didn't have. Yeah. You say, you say I've, I've appointed these people, so I believe in them. And it's only if they repeatedly prove I can't trust them that, that there'll be something to sort out. But I still don't need to be cruel. I remember when I sacked a teacher once, I wasn't unkind. I was kind, but she knew she was going to be sacked because we'd had several meetings which said, if you do that again, I'm afraid, you know, this is a safeguarding issue. You're going to lose your job. And, mm. and then she repeated the same safeguarding problem. And uh, mm. But still, you don't have to be cruel, do you? You just have to be professional. And I, I think this is where... Looking back, it's quite helpful to to realise that every year she think we we had probably six new NQTs start at the school every year. Unsurprisingly, oh, really? looking back, yeah. and she would single out two or three of them, and that was what she did. 
And so it wasn't because you'd done anything wrong. She perhaps didn't like if you had your own mind and you spoke up in a meeting mm. and you had ideas. Um, but I think the reassurance you get from other teachers, the reassurance I got from those two secondary teachers after she walked away at the parents' evening, that's what gets you through in, in many ways. Um, and actually, me coming to look around your school saved my career, Jeremy. Seriously, it really did. And um, probably my sanity as well. Um, and just realising this doesn't happen in every school. This isn't normal. It's perhaps put up with, but it doesn't have to be that way. But of course, that even transitioning to coming to your school <laughs> was a challenge because we didn't really use our mobile phones in those days, I don't think so much. And so I was sort of having secret phone calls in the office talking to you. Yeah, do you remember interview. that? Do you remember that? Because you were, I, I know when you'd looked around and you were, you were a little anxious about, yeah. about leaving because she was clearly having a, a huge negative influence on you to the point where you were thinking, I don't know if I can leave, even though the behaviour was so bad. And I remember ringing you up the day after you'd visited and, and I didn't have your number or your contact detail, so I rang the school and, and said, oh, is Ilsa there, please? And they said, uh, yes, who's calling, please? Oh, it's just a friend. We've got to arrange something for later. And, <laughs> and uh, I remember and, it so vividly. Yeah, and they went and got you. And uh, and then we had to have this conversation where uh, I had to say that it's, it's this strange bloke from that school you looked around yesterday. I know you can't really talk, but I just want to say you've got to apply because you're everything we're looking for in our school. And and I guarantee you that it's going to be a better experience than you're, than you're having at the moment. Mm. Well, I think that pretty much describes how you saved me, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say when you told her you were leaving? Um, I think I remember you, you know, back in those days, we had so many applicants for jobs, didn't we? And I, we did. I think you said to me there was something like 70 or I, I don't really remember. And, and she said, that many applicants and they chose you why would they do that because and you're brilliant went and spoke that's to, yeah she she didn't live in the real world i don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah i went and spoke to my head of year and said well clearly you know he's a man so he wants young female teachers oh yeah i never <laughs> said that to Just you did so I? unprofessional <laughs> unbelievable unbelievable Thank goodness, thank goodness she is not a head teacher any longer. Yeah, mm. it, it, it does the profession no favours at all, does it? When Because like you say, probably teachers have left because of her, and that's, that's dreadful. You should never leave because someone treats you so badly that you don't like the job anymore. No, and I, I think it's also the effect had a wider community as well you know and I remember going back to that school for a netball match probably 10 years later and one of the teachers that had stayed came out and sort of said hello haven't seen her for a long time and she went and got the new head teacher that had been there for a few years and the new head teacher came out specifically to say to me I'm sorry that you worked under mm. this old head teacher our school is not like that now. I've worked really hard to change the culture of our school and you're welcome here anytime. 
Oh wow, that's and, good. You know, that's that's mind blowing, really, isn't it? For that head to have to do that ten years later. It is, but it's more. also great credit to her, isn't it? To say so we can recognise the things that were wrong. It was interesting. One of the schools I was head at, uh, not the one that you joined. One of the year six mothers spoke to me after a month of me being there because this was a school that where bullying was rife uh, from the the leaders. And she said, "Can I can I just thank you, Mr. Crook, for coming to our school?" And I said, "Really, I haven't done much yet." She said, "No, you you don't know what you've done. You've done so much." She said, "Because my son." used to come home from school every day crying mm. because his teacher had blamed him for something or shouted at him or accused him of something that he hadn't done. And she said, he doesn't do that anymore because you've stopped the teachers shouting at the children. And he now comes home and talks about what he's done that's really interesting. And this wasn't, you know, this wasn't a badly behaved pupil who, you know, poor teachers end up shouting at them because they don't know what else to do or whatever. This was a an articulate, musical, sporting, high-achieving, hardworking, terribly polite boy. And he used to come home every day crying because of the way he was treated at school. And I, I said to the governors at that school, I said, uh, why did you appoint me? And we said... Uh, we knew there was something wrong, but we didn't know what to do about it, and we thought you would. <laughs> and I guess it takes you a while when you go into a new school like that to just observe and see what's happening and Absolutely. see what change is needed. Yeah, and um, you, you do the you do the the most important things first, which was nothing to do with academic stuff. It was about developing people who cared about people and supported each other, and were just nice to each other because. You can't be too nice, can you? You really can't. You can be ruthlessly professional and still be absolutely nice. Yeah. And, uh, and those two things can go happily hand in hand. I'm a very good professional, but I'm very nice to people because that's what that's the way to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so was it's there respect, anything good? It? It, absolutely. Was there anything good in your first year? Um. Yes, I think definitely kind of the the coaching side, PE lessons. As I say, my time with the children at that school was really special. Yeah. Um, I think your first class is always quite special anyway. Absolutely. Um, I heard from one couple... of the pupils in my first class the other day on Facebook. <laughs> That's how That's old I am. That's a strange feeling, isn't it? Yeah, because they only well... get in touch with you when they're about 35, you know, because they've got to be quite old and starting to get, poignant about reminiscing so no one will have got in touch with you yet probably because you're too young horribly um you know you're uh <laughs> you're still in well, the bloom of youth whereas well, well jeremy the... you're wrong actually <laughs> no well I, when i because later on in my career i did some skit training um as you all know and turned up new cohort of student trainee teachers um, looked down the register and saw a name that I thought, oh, that's familiar. I had a girl in my first class with that name. And it was quite, an un I suppose, an unusual name. And I sort of looked around the room and thought, oh, no, don't be silly. You know, that, wa that wasn't that long ago. It can't be her. And I sort of took this register and, and then looked up and she just looked at me. And the moment I looked into her eyes, I thought, oh, that's actually her. She's oh, from my brilliant. first class and now she's training to be a teacher. And I think she's actually gone on to be a PE subject leader and interested in health and well-being. 
and that you know that full circle is yeah, quite incredible great, but it did it? make me feel quite ancient <laughs> well that's nice if you feel ancient because i often feel ancient and you're not at all and i am so uh, so that's really good isn't it i had a message actually from someone on twitter the other day and she said you taught me science during my teacher training year and she said and i was so inspired i'm now the science subject leader so just what you've said there and you think that's well amazing. i said that is so good to have someone like you doing that because that's what we need we need these utterly committed engaged enthusiastic people don't we leading on these subjects and and then you get great things happening in school and they do say don't they that it's not what you say to people and what you do with them it's how you make them feel that's most important and i think i think that's a powerful thing i think if you can remember that as a teacher and you can rem remember that in terms of your classroom culture and your school culture then you're on the right path yeah no the curriculum definitely. comes next <laughs> it does it, it so does get the children really wanting to be in your class yeah and committed to actually it's a small community but you've got that classroom community where they can work together as a team they can be kind to each other and they can feel safe and secure in there just as you do as their teacher and other members of staff will do. And then if every class does that, the same happens in the school and then in the wider community. And it's just, it's healthy and it's a good way to be for everybody. And it doesn't take much, but it does take a bit of reflection and it does take a little bit of um, prioritising people mm. and that atmosphere in your classroom, doesn't it? That's, that's what you've got to do, isn't it? Prioritise the people. The people are everything. Mm. the lesson on fractions not quite so important really actually you know the people are what matters and 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 then we have schools don't we that turn out great people and that's what you yeah, want and I, I think anytime you you know less lessons can be difficult subjects can be difficult for children learning mm. can be difficult but i think anytime a child is struggling with something often you know, if you can really listen and really pay attention and and get to grips with what is difficult or what they're finding hard that day, whether they slept the night before, whether they've mm. had breakfast, that kind of thing, that can make all the difference too. Yeah, it can. Right, so we've talked about some quite serious stuff <laughs> there, but it but it's very important stuff isn't it very important and very important for all you teachers out there who might be in difficult situations there's a lot of brilliant schools out there and and if the current school isn't working for you don't be afraid to look elsewhere because there'll be somewhere better for you so let's talk about something more positive favorite <laughs> memories what are things where you thought oh this is why i love teaching so much um, most of them evolve around um, PE, sport, health and well-being, which makes sense, I suppose. Sports days were really special, I think, especially in 2012, the Olympic year. We were really fortunate to have a student teacher from SKIP programme uh, in my classroom who had just run with the Olympic torch. Oh, no, um, really? Yeah, she, she she's still a good friend of mine and... Um, Actually, she allowed us to borrow the torch. And so we nominated children from each class. The children nominated each other um, to run with the torch to kick off the sports day. Oh, wow. We talked about why they'd been nominated and 
very rarely was it about sports performance it was exactly that it was about how they treated other children mm. um how inspiring they were le- great leaders that kind of thing but we'd actually split that sports day into field events um the traditional races because the parents enjoyed those um but also fun events as well and like the atmosphere of that day and i can you know I, I don't think I slept the night before because it was just so exciting as well. And we had, um, I think all my, all my happy memories, interestingly, are kind of out on the field, playing rounders on a sports, at a sports day, that kind of thing. Um, really, really kind of probably like tipping points for children when they realize actually they go from saying, Oh, I'm, I'm not really into sport. Or I'm not a sporty person. I remember one boy came to my class and he said, Oh, I don't do sport. I don't like sport. And the whole class gasped. <laughs> um, Cause I think they thought that would upset me in some way. And I said, Oh, okay. Um, I said, right, give me a year. And I think I'll find something for you to enjoy. And he looked at me like, no, you won't. And by the time he'd left, um, he was, you know, member of a cricket club nearby, didn't play on his computer so much anymore, Had came to school in, in the fancy dress day in his football kit. Oh, you know, brilliant. To me, that, that that's so powerful, isn't it? Because he just found passions, new passions, yeah. healthy ones as well. But the nice thing, isn't it, as well, you've just described sports day there. I used to love competitive sports day. But you've got to have fun events as well, haven't you? Because it's sport for all. It's inclusion. It's everyone can enjoy doing this. It certainly isn't about we're only going to lord the best, the fastest runner, the longest thrower. Everyone is going to engage and enjoy being involved in physical activity. And 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 I know you're a passionate one, aren't you, for inclusion and, and making sure, just like that boy you've just described. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I can think of so many incidents where, you know, I had one girl who very shy and very timid in class um, and actually we had some big sporting personalities and played rounders and she hit this ball so far, further than any of the ch- children in the class. And they all just went, wow. And then, of course, every rounders session we had after that, I want her on my team, I want her on my yeah. team. And, what that did for her confidence was so powerful. Yeah. Um, and I can think, you know, one boy I taught with cerebral palsy, I think that was year four. Um, we we had really great communication with him and his family about his needs, but he was a passionate sportsman. And, um, and actually some of the activities we were doing were quite difficult. So that rounders game, for instance, for him to, he could hit the ball fine, but he couldn't get round the pitch as quickly as others could so mm. he suggested well could I have um someone as my fast legs so oh, he brilliant. would run and his selected fast legs would run as well um to be able to score a rounder um and that was his idea and we were open to it and it was you know it's absolute inclusion and the same happened at sports day that year he was determined to do long distance race which he did and the boys in his year group didn't hold back you know they ran their own race but then they doubled back to join him and completed the race by his side and the whole school the whole community all the parents as well were cheering him on to complete the race and I get quite emotional thinking about it because I just I felt so much pride in him and all the other children that day and that was them they led on that you know and well well I feel emotional 
listening because <laughs> if you want to if you want to sum up the essence of a great school culture you've just done it there haven't you that uh we're we're all we're all different but we all have the same opportunities and we all support each other to achieve as much as we can possibly achieve that in a nutshell is what great school culture is about isn't it and what you've just described i can i can remember that so well i had a lovely girl with down syndrome in one of my schools and she used to do sports day and and she would run up the track and everyone cheering and clapping her and she used to wave to the crowd and it was just a wonderful wonderful moment of utter joy for all of us yeah, and joy looks different for different children, doesn't it? Especially it does. in sports day. It's yeah. not about coming first in a race, actually. It's about their own achievement in their own world, their own environment, and link to what they've achieved before. And and often it's about their teammates or the people watching and the smiles and the faces. And mm. I don't think we should underestimate those things. They're, no, they're definitely well researched not. now as well. Um, yeah. Well, really and the great powerful. schools, that's what they do, isn't it? The great schools value everyone and they value each individual achievement. I've said this before on the podcast, actually. I had an inspector once and he said, you don't analyse the groups enough talking about data. And I said, we don't. We analyse the children. Every child gets the best possible deal they can possibly get in this school. That's how this school works. So we don't like group analysis, so we don't do much of it because we do individual analysis because we want every child to be as good as they can possibly be. And he said, you have to do group analysis. And I didn't say, oh, bugger off, mate, we don't. I just said, no, we don't, actually. <laughs> It's that conviction that you are doing a good job, isn't it? Yeah, that, totally. Um... And what does a good job look like? You've got to just be really clear about that. Every member of the school, not just the leaders, have to be really clear. What does good look like? What is it when we know we're doing the best for everyone? Let's just be really clear, because if we get that right, our school is going to be a great place if we're doing the best for everyone. What does that mean? It means we're going to do the best for everyone. What don't you understand? Mm. We don't need any complicated aims. That's what we do. The best for everyone. And if that's what you do, God blimey, that's brilliant, isn't it? I think that the, the best leaders that I've worked for make time for that sort of communication. Mm. And they make time for the conversations in the staff room, uh, talking to parents at the end of the day. And unfortunately, I think sometimes that can get lost, especially when you you're coming into teaching that can get lost in the concept of Ofsted, the curriculum, you know, SATs, whatever it might be, but that lies at the foundation of everything. I think top end and bottom end, actually. Well, it does. It does. Mm. Let's just be as good as we can be for everyone. Let's not overcomplicate this. And if we hold that in our hearts, literally in our hearts every day, then that's not too hard to achieve either. Is education massively complex? Yes. Is the belief that we can do the best for everyone massively complex? No, it isn't. It's a simple idea. So let's just live it. Live it, and then we'll overcome all the struggles on the way that we have to overcome to achieve it. What else do you want to tell us? We're going to have to wind up quite soon. So what else? Do you, have you got anything else that you're desperate to tell us? It's been fascinating. I'm sure this is going to be so useful for so many people to realise you can have a terrible time and develop into a great time and, and achieve wonderful things. Talking of which, I know what we're going to talk about to finish. We're going to talk about the Children's Health Project. 
Ah. <laughs> tell us tell us a bit about it. What great things have happened since you've started it? Thank you. Um, well, it's going very well. Obviously, there are challenges. Fortunately, we we took the Children's Health Project online and created an online academy actually just before COVID, which you know worked really well because it mm. meant that we could still engage with schools and we weren't dependent on seeing people in person. But fundamentally, what we do, we're a com- community interest company. Um, which means we put purpose before profit. We don't have shareholders that are after uh, money. <laughs> um, it's all about the change that is needed in schools and to support schools. We train teachers, we provide resources that save them time. Um, and we have four pillars of health and well-being, and that kind of leads everything that we do. So we have mindful movement, nourished eating, balanced lifestyles, and nurturing mindsets. And those um, help schools to structure, to communicate health and well-being to the children, to their members of staff, to the parents, and help them actually to organise what's happening in school for health and well-being. Without it just, it's not about replacing anything else. It's actually about saying, you know, we've got stuff going on in science, we've got stuff going on in DT, PE, PSHE, we've got the Senko leading on this, you know, the school cook. All of those people are such an important part of the health and well-being ecosystem. But traditionally, I don't, I didn't feel as a teacher that we work together. So that's mm-hmm. what our training is about, is about working as a team, unsurprisingly. Um, and actually perhaps saving ourselves time, but also having kind of um, a whole school approach that works for health and well-being. Yeah, wow, it sounds wonderful. You'll have to give me the link. I'll put it on the end of the blog so people can get in touch with you and can access what sounds like a wonderful resource because, like I said right at the beginning, couldn't be more important, could it? The obesity figures are going up. The mental health issues are going up, understandably, given what's happened with lockdowns. I saw a graph the other day looking at each year group and when was their last full year in education. Mm. And it was scary, you know, it was like three years ago. So your year sixes, the last time they had a full year in education was when they were year threes. And you Mm. think, oh, blimey, that's so difficult for them. No wonder that uh, we're having so many of these issues around mental health and, and, Mm. and, and children feeling sort of detached from the little bit of life they'd already had beforehand because these children are so young, aren't they? It was hard enough for adults to cope with, but these little children just in their sort of moments of developing these social skills that they need and and this wide range of other skills they need to be successful human beings when it's been cut away from them. And then we have a government that seems more concerned that they don't know what a frontal adverbial is. Mm. Idiots. If only they understood that what makes great people is not your use of frontal adverbials or the bus stop method in division. Oh, dear, oh, dear. We try and take a, a positive approach to well-being. I think the thing I've learned as I've looked through the curriculum and worked on the curriculum with a, a health and well-being kind of laser focus or mindset is that parts of our curriculum are actually quite negative. They're mm. warn children of this, be, wa- mm. be wary of this, this is a risk. Um, and actually... think there are other ways that we can get that message across in a positive sense Mm. but also that it's for every child as well so I mean health and well-being was a need in school before COVID 
but actually it's emphasized those children perhaps who need more targeted support. But now we're starting to realize that all children in school actually need kind of the influence, the, the, um, the knowledge, the understanding, the skills to be able to take care of themselves, to regulate their emotions, to make good choices when it comes to movement and food and, mm. um, you know, to be in touch with their bodies and their minds, to be able to have that communication. And, and, and that's for all children. So we t- try to take a positive psychology approach, actually, that it's about well-being, it's about thriving and flourishing. Um, and that is universal across the whole school for all children in all subjects. This is not intervention-based um, or specialist-based. And this is for all teachers to teach that as well. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a what a brilliant place to stop, that is, because I'm inspired. If only I was still a head teacher, I'd have you back in my school in a shot not to teach because now you'd be doing training all my staff in uh, the children's health project because uh, that's inspiring work you're doing. Ilse, I'm proud of you. Well done. Thank you. But I'd like to think that you were one of the people that led me to do it, really, Jeremy. So Yeah, well, um, I don't think I I have much to do with it other than than (laughs) rescuing you from a disastrous school you were in but um, or a disastrous... I think actually... Yeah, I think one of the most impactful things you did actually was um, give me the PE subject leader role. And I I remember asking, I can see myself sitting in the office now saying, well, how do I do that? I I don't know how to lead, lead on PE. I'd been ICT lead before. And you said, go and figure it out. Do what you want. Hey. <laughs> and so I did. And you gave me the autonomy to go and, you know, find a community and find my tribe of people who I got on really well with and I was inspired by other schools the sports partnership community really helped in that sense but gave me the space to do that in my own way I guess yeah you've got to give people space and you've got to trust them it wasn't a cop-out honest it wasn't because I couldn't no, be bothered no. to tell you I used to like that with all my staff and then you always said you can come back if you want to chat things through but absolutely Um, once you think about it you'll have a load of ideas and you did and uh it's been a joy to to know you over these years also because uh, and it's a joy to see you doing such great things now so well done thanks jeremy what an inspiring story of overcoming adversity you've shared with us today and then going on to such great things wow it made me think of the words of nelson mandela who said something like Courage is not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Brave people still feel afraid, but they conquer their fear. And that was what you did to get yourself out of that very difficult situation you found yourself in right at the start of your career. Nelson Mandela also espoused having concern for others in our lives, as that will go a long way in making the world the better place we all want. And that has also come through loud and clear in your words. So what now, listeners? Have you got a fear you need to overcome? Or have you got an idea for something you can do with your class or in your school that will make it a better place for everyone? Courage, mon brave. You can do it. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll keep you updated on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another thought-provoking educational chat and crikey, this one with Ilsa has been that. 
Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT. <laughs> <laughs>